Welcome to Real Time Real Estate, a podcast brought to you by St. Louis Realtors, your voice for real estate. I'm Charlie Hinderleiter, Director of Government Affairs for St. Louis Realtors, and we are excited today to have with us St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell. Mr. Bell, thank you so much for joining us today. Man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So first, we want to say thank you for the ability to work with your office on a regular basis um, with the formation of the Realtor Advisory Committee that you recommended that we have set up with your office. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that and, and why that's important to your office? You know, what we realize is that in order to be able to do our jobs, we need that buy-in from not only the public, but also our community partners, because there's just a lot that, you know, we don't know in our individual bubbles, if you will. And so uh, we started this with our Diversion Advisory Committee, where we started connecting healthcare providers and just different providers for individuals who are struggling with drug abuse issues or what have you. And it, it's gone so well that we, 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 we look to expand that model uh, to other groups so that we can have some of these uh, important conversations and discussions. And you guys are going to see a view of St. Louis that we don't necessarily see and and we're going to see something you all don't see. And, and by sharing notes, I think we just put ourselves in a better problem to kind of uh, address these issues holistically. As we're recording this in 2022, we've seen car theft, catalytic converter theft as a big issue. Do you want to speak a little bit to what your office has been able to do with regard to some of those issues? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did, are what, what we recognize is that, you know, in a unique jurisdiction such as this region. St. Louis County has 88 municipalities and 55 police departments. And so sometimes the left hand doesn't know what the right hands are doing. And, and so particularly with, with this issue of auto theft and, and car break-ins, we have these decentralized groups of car theft rings that are working different areas. And when law enforcement uh, are not aware of what one one department is doing and who they're dealing with, it doesn't put us in the best situation to address these problems. So what we wanted to do was streamline that so we could keep that information coming in one place and that we could share it with everyone. So for example, when um, Florissant brings in a case or someone who's been charged with something and, and they don't know that they're also operating out of Chesterfield, now we have two dedicated attorneys who can serve as a clearinghouse to make sure that we're all, all working together. And so the auto theft was created with that idea in mind. The auto theft task force, I should say, was created with that idea in mind. And as a result, we've been able to significantly win some victories, if you will, in a couple more recently. There was, I think, June-ish, we had a big bust of, of individuals who were involved in stealing catalytic converters and over 17 vehicles in Maryland Heights uh, between September and September 22nd. This started in 2021 and uh, we were able to arrest those individuals and, and, and cripple that, that uh, particular ring. Also, uh, more recently, there were individuals targeting a particular company uh, where cars were kept, same thing with catalytic converters. And again, this is in partnership with our law enforcement partners. Uh, we were able to issue several arrests and cripple another ring. Now, still a lot of work to be done. And this, this problem is not going away, but I do think it's important that we uh, 
are holding these individuals accountable. I will add one thing that I think people should know. A, a lot of these rings are attracting and recruiting juveniles because they know juveniles go to the juvenile courts. The prosecutors in the juvenile courts don't work for my office, so we don't see these juveniles until they are uh, 17, unless they're certified. So there's a so the, and and they know this. So there's a lot of these rings that are attracting juveniles, and so we don't get to stand, we don't get to make charging decisions, and there's nothing that we can do about those juveniles. But we have reached out to some of the juvenile courts and the legal officers who are all the prosecutors in juvenile courts to let them know of our concerns and and hopefully get them to be more aggressive on those particular kind of cases. And in your time in office, you've taken a little bit of a different approach in terms of focusing on diversion in some instances. Would you talk a little bit about your philosophy and your approach when it comes to uh, addressing violent and nonviolent offenders? And, and, and our, our philosophy is straightforward. With serious and violent offenses, we're going to aggressively prosecute them and hold those offenders accountable. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm a I'm a data guy. And so we looked at the data from 2018 and 2017 and compared it to what we're doing. And what we're seeing is that we're getting about the same number of referrals from law enforcement, uh, but we've prosecuted 41% more domestic violence cases, over 50% more uh, homicides and close to 90% more assaults. Uh, and so from that, from the serious and violent uh, offenses with those with, with regards to those, I should say, we are aggressively prosecuting those. And then there's another bucket of low-level nonviolent offenses, which from a philosophical standpoint, we do not include auto thefts and car break-ins and car jackings as low-level. We keep those are in the serious bucket for us. But for those drug possessions or low-level cases where individuals just need help, um, we are looking at alternatives to incarceration. And, um, you know, I'll also say, like I've said before, um, when I raised my hand and, and took an oath to take this job, I didn't do so. I, I didn't take an oath to just lock people up. I took an oath to to serve justice. And sometimes that looks like locking people up, but sometimes it looks like looking at, it looks like alternatives to incarceration that actually help people and keep them from uh, reoffending. So um, again, on one hand, we're going to aggressively prosecute the serious stuff and violent crimes when you cross that line, but for those low-level uh, offenders who not only need but deserve a second chance, we're going to look at alternatives when appropriate. Crime in St. Louis seems to be a topic that always um, is a point of conversation, but I think that has only increased here recently. As you look out at this region, how can we address crime better as a St. Louis region? I think first and foremost, we have to understand the nature of this problem, and it, and it is not a case-by-case case individual municipality problem. This is a systemic issue when we look at crime. And there are factors with respect to crime that uh, correlate with lower crime rates, and there are factors that correlate with higher crime rates. So let's just start with the obvious stuff. When you have schools that are underfunded and in underserved communities, you're going to have higher crime rates. I don't care if your city is named St. Louis, Dallas, Whatever it's called, you're going to have higher crime rates. You don't have access to quality jobs and job training. You're going to have higher crime rates because people with jobs commit less crimes. People with access to quality education commit less crimes. People with access to quality housing um, to our realtors commit less crime. 
And so if we're going to, if we're serious, if we're going to be serious about this problem, then we have to address it systemically. And we got to, we can't concede certain school districts uh, as failed. And that's what we do. We know that, and we, we know the region when we can, where we would not send our kids to school. And, and we as a collectively are conceding and, and, and accepting that some of these school districts aren't, districts aren't going to be up to par. And I, and I think that that should not, we should not tolerate that. We have to, we have to decide to do better. We have to decide that, hey, collectively it's in our, in all of our interests that all of our school districts at least, at least meet minimum standards, or at the very least, in my opinion, we should want all of our schools to be the gold standard. Um, jobs, same thing. If we, we are losing some of our um, uh, some of our star talent, our, some of our young people who are looking elsewhere for opportunities, uh, and we're losing the best and the brightest in many cases. I was a former professor for years, and I can't tell you how many of my A students would be telling me how they're moving to Dallas, they're moving here, they're moving there, and some of that is there's a perception, true or untrue. That the opportunities are not as are not as abundant in St. Louis, and we have to you know we have to address that issue, um, real and imagined, if if it is. And so there's you know systemically there's I, I, we can go in in more detail if you want to, but you know from a big picture standpoint, education, jobs, those are the things that keep people coming, and a thriving downtown area. You know even though I'm in the county and the downtown is not in our jurisdiction. We know when people look at St. Louis, they're going to look at that downtown area and St. Louis in general. Can't tell you how many people come to me and say, "Hey, Wes, you you guys' crime rates are you have the highest murder rate." And I'm like, no, we don't, because we're St. Louis County, that's St. Louis City. But most people don't look at it like that. They look at it as that's your downtown area, that's your problem, right? And families are not going to move into a, an area that they don't feel is safe. And then coupled with poor schools, um, and so you know that's something that we're going to have to address as a region and stop otherizing it and saying, "Hey, that's somebody else's problems. Those other folks over there, their problems over there." We got to start coming together and start thinking regionally. So, what role does the office of the St. Louis County Prosecutor have to play as we look at crime throughout St. Louis region? I think twofold. One is obviously the job and holding those who commit crimes accountable, uh, but also I think that our policies can impact that progress that we all want to see. And what we've seen more recently is this opioid epidemic, right? A lot of people who are not criminals in the, in the, in the way that we view crime, these are individuals who have, have an addiction, and we know that there are others, bigger forces, that have affected that addiction, you know, by the way that these drugs were prescribed. So not completely that, you know, that the, the, the individual who's struggling with addiction, not completely their fault, because many were uh, prescribed these drugs and did not know how addictive that they were. Um, and so I would challenge anyone to say, hey, someone who has never committed crimes, they haven't harmed anyone, but they have this addiction, do we really think jail is the best place for these people? And let's take that to the next level, if you will. What we know about jail is that when you go there, you are more likely to go back. So the idea of, oh, somebody messed up, send them to jail, that'll straighten them up, the data shows otherwise. 
40 to 45% of individuals when they get out of jail within a year in Missouri go back. After 10 years nationally, about 80% go back. And so what we're saying is that that is not the way to keep us safe. It sounds good. It's, hey, lock them up. That sounds tough, but it doesn't keep us safe. What keeps us safe is that when we give individuals the tools and the toolbox that they need in order to be successful, they got a drug problem, let's get them in treatment. They are significantly less likely to reoffend when they get that treatment, when they get that help that they need. And so from our office's standpoint, that's why we created our Diversion Advisory Committee is so that we could connect individuals with the resources that are going to keep them out of jail. And let's take this to the next level. There's also going to make them productive members of society, taxpayers, when they're staying out of jail. They have job opportunities. They're buying houses. They're paying taxes. Um, those are the things that not only keep them out, but also help us because it costs a lot of money to incarcerate somebody. And that's all taxpayer funded, right? And so when we uh, when we start recognizing what actually keeps us safe and start implementing those policies, I think our office has a can have a big impact um, on this community. And I'll even add, I'm again, I'm a data person of that bucket of people. Now that has been 1,800 people since we got into office that we've been able to shift to our diversion program instead of incarceration. Remember, I talked about 45% recidivism rates, 80% recidivism rates. We're talking about 8% recidivism rates with those individuals. So 92% success rates with the people who are connected with our diversion program. And, and again, I didn't invent this. I'd like to be able to take full credit and say, hey, this is all my idea. No, we looked at what other jurisdictions were doing well, and we brought a model here that would work for Saint, the St. Louis region. And it's been working because we've been engaging community partners just like you guys. September is Realtor Safety Month. So as realtors are out and about thinking about their safety, what might be a couple of practical tips that you could provide to them that maybe they haven't already thought of? There's a lot of things. Um, and, and I want to reiterate what you're implying in this question. Most people who are inclined to breaking cars, steal cars are not going to do so with the police around. They're going to do it when police aren't around. So that means the front line of this fight that we're in is that Joe Citizen, who is more likely to either, either see or know something about what's going on in their respective neighborhood. And so if you see something, say something, first and foremost. But some things that, that you should know that these prey on um, Vast, the vast majority of these cars are unlocked. Keys are often inside or left, or the car is left running unattended. As we start getting into the colder months, yeah, it's nice to get into that warm car. The problem is that um, you are opening yourself up to having your car stolen. And keep in mind, even if your key fob is not in the car, if it's close enough, a thief can get your car running if it's just you know you may keep put your keys right there in the garage or right there by the door on hanging on one of those key hangers or whatever you call them and if it's close enough to your car your car potentially could could start one big one that i want to make sure people are aware of is people sit in their car because we've been trained not to text and drive and i hope people aren't even though when i'm driving i see people texting all the time but for those who are trying to be responsible, they get to their destination and then they text. Well, guess what? You are a 
you are one of the biggest marks now because you are in a car where we know the keys are there and a thief knows that you are not paying attention. So that is someone that um, you are making yourself uh, an easy mark for a would-be car thief or what have you. Um, but then also paying attention to what you leave in your car. Oftentimes, um, thieves are looking for guns are the big one, people who leave guns in their car, but also any other valuables. So those are things that increase the likelihood of, of your car being broken into, stolen, or what have you, or worse. As someone who's not normally up on the TikTok trends, um, I was in the know, I guess, um, since Mr. Bell informed our Realtor Advisory Committee earlier this summer about the Kia Boys trend and how some TikTok videos have really helped people, unfortunately, um, be able to steal Kia and Hyundais easier. Uh, would you tell us a little bit more about that trend? You know, uh, and I'll just mention this one, and it's been much publicized, but Kias and Hyundais have a glitch, some kind of factory glitch that make them very easy to steal. And so those with those cars, through no fault of your own, are at a higher risk because now this young crowd of car thieves or what have you are, are aware of it, they know it, and they share all this information. And so they're on the hunt for these particular cars. And, and I mean, it's as simple as something to do with a uh, car charger, some way that just makes it very easy to start these cars. So uh, I would be on the lookout for that. Law enforcement is aware of it, but obviously, you know, it's something that, you know, law enforcement can only do what they can do. And, and oftentimes law enforcement won't know until the car is stolen or broken into so, but that's something that Kia and Hyundai drivers should know about. And you probably even want to talk to your local dealer because um, I'd have to guess if there's not already a, a recall that there should be one coming very soon. Are there any specific tips for Kia and Hyundai owners in terms of what they can do to try to mitigate that vulnerability? And I, one, take it to your dealer immediately. And hopefully they, if there's not a recall already out, there's something that they're aware of. Uh, other than that, you know, keeping it in a garage if you can. But yeah, for those particular cars, it, it's tough out there right now. Mr. Bell, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your insight. Yeah, anytime, anytime, Charlie. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Real Time Real Estate, a podcast brought to you by St. Louis Realtors. Join us next time for more on real estate news, trends, and industry insights. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. St. Louis Realtors, your voice for real estate.